I want to start off by talking about the movie Brewster's Millions. Anyone here seen the movie? Okay, Brewster's Millions. You know what I learned this week? Is that the 1985 version, which started Richard Pryor, was not the first version. Like, there have been several versions of this, all the way back into, like, the 1920s or 30s. Like, I think this is, like, the third or fourth time this story has been told. The 1985 version is that Richard Pryor is a minor league baseball player, a pitcher, and minor league players don't make very much. It's not like the the major league players. So these minor league players don't make very much, and he's hoping to get called up, first of all, just to get to the show, but second, so he could actually make some money and live. Uh, He's doing these odd jobs. Well, it turns out he's got a very wealthy relative, and because it's 1985 and they really force plots, his relative is this white guy, and here's Richard, obviously a black guy, and yet they try and make it work. And the the wealthy, rich guy dies, but records a video to Brewster. The Brewster watches, and in it, the wealthy guy says, I want to leave you $300 million, more than he'd ever make as a Major League Baseball player. But there's a catch. In order to earn the $300 million, to inherit it, he has to spend $30 million in 30 days. The the idea is supposedly that this guy wants to know that his funds will be taken care of. So he wants to make Richard Pryor's character, Brewster, hate spending money. And so he's like, I'm going to make you, force you to spend all of it. And you're going to get so frustrated and so sick of it. That way I know you'll take care of the rest of it. But there's a few rules. Rule number one, you can only give up to like 5%. So he really couldn't give that much away. Rule number two, at the end of 30 days, he could own nothing. He had to be just as poor, if not poorer, when the whole thing started. So he couldn't just go out and buy a bunch of cars and, and buildings and such. He had to just g- g- like basically lose it. Oh, and there was one more rule. He couldn't tell anyone about the inheritance. So suddenly... Brewster has $30 million and starts spending it as if it's just water. It's crazy. And that's where the comedy comes in. Because you, the audience, know and understand why he's blowing this money. And why he isn't using it on really cool things like Lamborghinis. Why he just is doing party after party and just spending it like crazy. Because all of the people around Brewster think he's crazy. He has suddenly got all this money and he's just wasting it. They don't understand the whole point behind it. But you do. Like as you're watching the movie, you get it. In fact, as you watch it, you start dreaming up your own ways to blow $30 million in 30 days. Like you you start thinking, "Oh, oh, that's a good idea. I could do that. Like suddenly you're spinning it faster than Richard Pryor's character is. Because... You understand. I think there's times in life where we have to make certain decisions that everyone around us is going to think is crazy. But to us, it makes complete sense. Maybe some of you got into a college, maybe a really prestigious college, or you were given a big scholarship, and then all of a sudden you turned it down to go to some lesser school or where you didn't get as big of a scholarship because— You knew, you just knew that that school, that program was going to be a better fit for you. Everyone thought you were crazy for turning down this school, but you just knew this is the right thing. Or maybe you could be like my friend, Nate, who was dating a really cool gal, and everyone just assumed they were going to end up getting married. And all of a sudden, Nate breaks off the relationship, and everyone looked at him like, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know. She's a cool gal. 
I just don't think she's the one. And he ends it with her. And now, years later, she's married to a really cool guy. He's married to someone else. And you look at it and you go, oh, you're right. This is better. But in the moment, we all thought Nate was crazy. I've even lived this. I, I was the young adult pastor at this large church in Cedar Rapids where things were going great. We had a great future ahead of us. And yet I left it all to go plant a church with no guarantee that it would succeed and grow. There were some people who thought, I think the birds have lost their mind. I think they're crazy. And they were probably right. But now in hindsight, we can look and see what God has done. And we have this sense of excitement, like our best days are still ahead of us. But in the moment, it was a hard decision to make because I felt like Brewster. I felt like I was throwing something really good away. How do you make these sort of decisions? How can you make a decision that in the face of everyone else, it looks like that's a bad idea. And yet you know inside, this is the only course I can take. This is the right thing. I have to do this. How do you do it? It comes when you have a change of perspective. When you begin to think differently than the common thinking of everyone around you, that's what empowers you to make this decision. And that's what we're going to see today. Uh, back in February, we did a series called The Gospel. Uh, here at Riverwood, if you're new to Riverwood, our definition of the gospel is that the gospel is the ongoing story of God redeeming broken and imperfect people and restoring them into the perfect and complete image of Jesus. Now, we didn't just study that definition. What we looked at in this series was four things. It was a four-week series, and we saw that what God wants us to do is to continually study the gospel, to continually learn it, so that we would be able to think the gospel, which then leads us to live the gospel as well as speak the gospel. It was so critical to me as it's for the weeks two and three for us to understand this concept that we need to be able to think the gospel so that we can live it. Because as you have yourself starting to think the gospel, that's the filter with which you do life. It emboldens you and empowers you to go and make these crazy decisions that everyone else around you is going, are you just like Brewster? When inside, you know, there's something else going on. And that's what Paul really starts showing us in Romans chapters 12 through 15. What we're going to do through this entire series is we're going to look at a large number of different areas. And we're going to see how, excuse me, how uh, Paul says, all right, when it comes to the government, here's how to bring the gospel into this. When it comes to relationships, here's how the gospel affects that. When it comes to all sorts of different areas, here's how to make Jesus the center of it. That's why we're calling this series and Jesus. Not just what do we do in this area of life, but how do we let the gospel be the foundation with which we engage in this area of life? And so that means this series is going to be a very practical series. It's not going to just be theoretical and, oh, okay, that's a nice little concept. It's going to be, no, like, so this is what I should be doing on Monday. It's going to be that practical. And today we jump right in with uh, chapters, uh, chapter 12. We're going to be doing verses 1 through so before we jump into that, let me pray. So Heavenly Father, as we jump here into the book of Romans, chapters 12 through 15, I just want to say thank you for this immensely rich section of Scripture. And I pray that it would change me and it would change my church family, 
to, to continue to be molded into that image of Jesus, that you would restore us into the perfect, complete image of Jesus so that we will become the type of people who will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. Because this world desperately needs a bunch of people living like that. And I want to see my church family be those people. And so God, I pray that you would accomplish your will in us today. I realize I'm speaking to a, a wide gathering of people. They are all over the place in their spiritual journey. Some have been following you for a long time. Some are new at this. Some may even be pursuing you and wondering what this whole gospel is about. So, Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do, that you take one man's words and you would penetrate the hearts and minds of these people and speak to them exactly where they're at so that you can help them take that next step in their faith to go just a little bit deeper in this relationship with you, no matter where they are currently at. So, Father, may you just speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 12. Um, if you do not own a Bible and you want to be like me and go old school and go paper, we have some back on our Give and Grow table. Miguel is there for anyone who wants to hold a, a paper copy. We've got two different translations on that back table. You may totally take one of those and just make it your everyday Bible. We want you to have a Bible. Uh, if you're more, you know, up to date, you're more hip and cool and whatever the kids use these days on fleek, I have no idea what they say these days, pull out your digital Bible and uh, uh, use your phone. So even if you're a guest, uh, it's fine to pull out your phone, download a Bible to it. If you don't have one, that way you always have a Bible with you. Today we're going to be in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and let me read. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers— by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, back in February, on actually February 11th, the topic was thinking the gospel. We looked at verses 1 and 2 here in Romans 12. And so because we just kind of looked at them in depth a couple of months ago, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on them. We are going to look at them, but we're just going to glance across them because we still need to look at it because it sets the foundation for what we're going to see in verses 3 through 8. Actually, it's the foundation for all of chapters 12 through 15. However, we're not going to go into super depth because we just looked at it in February. So if you want to, go back onto the Riverwood website, find the February 11th uh, message called uh, uh, Thinking the Gospel. It's in the gospel series, and listen to that, and you can go much deeper with February, um, with Romans 12, 1 and 2, all right? But let's at least look at a little bit. Paul is writing this letter to a church that's in the ancient city of Rome. 
he has not been there yet. He ends up being arrested and ends up going to Rome and ends up dying in Rome uh, a few years later after being under house arrest. But at this point, he's not been to Rome yet. But he's heard about this church that has started. And so he's writing to them. But because it's so far away from some of the other areas he's been, he wants them to know this is the gospel. And so he basically starts in chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11, sharing here's what the gospel is. And he's explaining what it is, what it can do, who it's for. And it's basically, I've said this multiple times, it's basically his dissertation on the gospel. Like if he's getting into a doctorate, he's like, hey, here's my thesis. This is what the gospel is. But then in chapter 12, he makes a turn. And we've pointed this out before. You notice the turn happens with the word therefore. As I've said before, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is that therefore, therefore? Because it's a linking word. It combines what is about to come with what we just heard. And so what you just heard, chapters 1 through 11, was the gospel. And so now, in light of this gospel, therefore, here's what you should do. And what is it that he says that we should do? He says, we should present your, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You are to present your body. Now, when he says body, he's not just talking about your physical body. All right? It's not just like, you know, put your body up there, but don't give God your heart. No, this is his way of saying, give God all of you. I think sometimes we as humans struggle in giving all like when we go to work, sometimes we don't give them all of us. Like we still find ways to get onto Facebook, even though we're being paid. We, we, we find ways to have these little side conversations at the water cooler, even though we're on the clock. You know, like we get into a relationship and we say, I'm going to give you all. But then we kind of keep a few things from the other person. We just don't let them totally peer in because if, if they saw everything about us, they might not really like us. So we're going to try and give them the best picture possible. We're just not going to give them all. Paul is saying that's not going to work with God. God wants all of you. He wants you to willingly lay yourself on that altar, giving up all of yourself. And he's not just talking the physical body because of what we see there in verse uh, 2. Verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He immediately goes into the way you think. In other words, don't think in the patterns of this world. If you think of the patterns of this world, you're not going to be able to do Brewster-type decisions. You have to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Yes, it might make you look crazy to the world around you, but it will be the right thing. So you have to have your mind transformed by this gospel. And let this gospel be the, the filter. Because as you think the gospel, now you'll be able to live the gospel. And that's what he starts to get into in verses three through eight. So what we're going to see here is that Paul basically says that the gospel, it changes our view on two things. It changes our view on self and it changes our view on serving. So those of you who are note takers, now you know a couple of things to fill in the blanks there. You, it, uh, yourself and serving, that's what it changes your view of. And when it comes to yourself, we're going to see two things that the gospel changes. The first is that it changes your ego, how you view yourself, but it also changes your view of connections. All right, let's look, do the first part. Let's look at our ego, how we view ourself. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Any of you ever met someone who just really, really struggles with bragging? 
Maybe it's in person or maybe it's online, but this person will just boast about how great they are, about all the things that they've accomplished and how well they did and the awards that they won and how everyone says they're the best looking and the the smartest and, and they've got the coolest toys. And then someone will come along. Usually it's like a close family member. Maybe it's a, a, a good friend, someone who's known them for a number of years. And as they listen to this braggart, they'll say, well, wait, wait, wait a second. What about that time? And then they'll remind them of an event or something that happened that completely contradicts what they said before. Now, everyone else who's around listening, like whether it's on Facebook and they start posting into the comments or it's right there in person, they'll say something like this. They'll go, ooh, they just put you in your place. The gospel puts you in your place. That's what Paul is saying here. The gospel does not allow you to start bragging, thinking, I'm so great. Because he just said, you've been given this gospel. He says all through chapters 1 through 11, and it's going to renew your mind. And so as you have this gospel, you cannot get fooled into thinking that 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 means God loves you more, that you're somehow better, that you're a more spiritual saint than everyone else around you. Because the gospel reminds you that you are far more sinful than you ever realize. And so it humbles us. It puts us in our place. Some of us, we need that. We need that reminder that we're not quite as good as we think we are. Some of you are saying, that's not a problem. I know I'm not as good as, uh, you know, a bunch of other people. For you, you need the other half of the gospel. Because Paul is not saying here that you need to beat yourself up No, he says to think with sober judgment. Meaning, yeah, you're more sinful than you realize. You are also far more loved than you could ever imagine. The gospel says Jesus died on a cross for your sins. You are worth the blood of Jesus. That's how valuable you are. And so you can't go around thinking, oh, I'm so great. God loves me. Yeah, he loves you, but it doesn't make you better than everyone else. Let it bring you down. But those of you who are spending your time beating yourself up, saying all the negative lies in your head, just constantly killing yourself, stop it. Because you are worth everything. You are worth the blood of Jesus. You have such value. So let it bring this sober judgment to you. Because when you now have a changed view of self, when you have this healthy ego— It now helps you move into the next part. It helps you have healthy connections because that's what Paul points out next. Verses four and five. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what he's saying is you are not your own, which is hard for us Americans. Those of you who are American in this room, you live in a culture that is constantly pumping to you that you are an individual. You drive your own car, you have your own phone, you have your own job, you go back to your own house. Even when you log on to Netflix and YouTube, they'll say recommended for you. Like everything is so personalized. I mean, there's cars now that you can get in, tell them, hey, I'm driver one. You push the little button, the seat moves, the steering wheel moves, like it's customized for you. All of these things begin to come into our head thinking it's all about me. And so we live these very individualistic lives. And Paul is saying, guys, when it comes to your faith, you do not have this personal faith. Because you are part of something bigger. 
You are a member of the body of Christ. If you follow Jesus, you are part of the church. Which means you have to be involved. You have to be connected. You know, not that long ago, um, I had some friends uh, connect me up with a uh, family who had an adult child going through some issues. who was making some personal decisions that... Um, was really kind of harmful for the child on an emotional level, spiritual level, but it was also straining the relationship with the parents. And so these friends thought, because I had been, having worked as a young adult pastor for a number of years, might be able to offer some help, some counsel to these parents as they're trying to work with their young adult child. So we sat down together, and it was pretty clear right away that these, this couple I'm meeting with, they, they were Jesus followers. They, they understood the gospel. Their faith was very important to them. But as we began to talk— I asked him, do you, do you have a church home? And the, the, the wife, the mom, she's like, no, we're not. We, we probably should be, but my heart just broke for them. Because here they are carrying this really heavy issue. And they have no one to carry it with them. They're trying to do their faith on their own. And Paul is saying here, you can't do it on your own. You are part of something bigger that's why at Riverwood, we just really push for you to get into a growth group. I just think of this family, that if they were part of my growth group, we would be praying every Monday night for them and for their daughter. We, we, we would be just holding them up in prayer. We'd be checking in with them during the week. And they would know they're not alone in this. That's why you got to get connected. So that when you go through a, a job crisis, you go through a health issue, you, you find, you know, facing some health, I mean, a financial crisis, you're not alone. You're reminded, I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a member with one another, and we can bear this together. That's why I, I also encourage you, you know, get on a serving team. Start serving with other people. Because as you do things side by side, it starts to build these relationships, and you start realizing, I'm not alone. At a minimum, when you show up on Sundays, don't just come in, sit down, and ignore everyone. Like, shake a hand. Get to know them. And I know some of you, you're introverts, all right? Seventy-some percent of Iowans are on the introverted side of the spectrum, all right? So, which means you're probably going to introduce yourself to another introvert. It'll be fine, all right? The conversation can be short, and then you can go back and sit down. Remember, though, if you follow Jesus, you are connected. And so do what you can to build those connections. Because the gospel changes our view of self, not just in our own ego, but also changes our view of relationships. We are connected with one another. Which also then leads into Paul's next point. Not only does the gospel change your view of self, it also changes your view of serving. It changes what you do. Verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service— in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. At Riverwood, we have this, what we call our, our pathway of helping you follow Jesus. Uh, we, and we call it uh, gather, grow, give, go. You notice it on our banners that are around we just try to make it simple. We want you to gather together for worship once a week. We want to help you grow spiritually. We want you to develop personal spiritual disciplines as well as get into a growth group. And then we want to help you give. And when it comes to the topic of giving, we talk about giving your fist. Giving your finances, your influence, your skills, and your time. 
Things that we often try to hold on to, to keep for ourselves. But God is saying, I want you to crawl on that altar to be a living sacrifice. And I want you to open these things up. I want you to let them go because I can do more with them than you ever can. But there's so often things we want to hold on to. As I was studying this passage this week, I was just shocked and, and pleasantly shocked to see the fist right here in these three verses. And so I just want to point them out to you. There in verse 8, we see the finances. Right there in the middle of it, it says, the one who contributes in generosity. Now, he's talking about people with spiritual gifts, right? I realize some of you in this room, you don't necessarily have a spiritual gift of generosity. Some of you do. And Riverwood is benefited because of it. But some of you, like, it's not your spiritual gift. And yet, you also, it doesn't mean, well, I don't have a spiritual gift, so I can just keep my money for myself. No, God's saying, open up your hand. Let me use it. Because when you open these things up, God gets the glory, you get the joy, and you end up being a blessing to other people. That's what God wants for you. It's helping make you more and more like Jesus. So it's not holding on to it for yourself. Some of you are saying, okay, but Aaron, I would like to be that way. You don't understand the state of my bank account. Like, I'm just making it month to month, like paycheck to paycheck. Like, I'm still owing from Christmas. And so that's why you aren't mad that there's still snow on the ground. Because it just always seems to be this way. That's why we're trying to do something as simple as offer FPU, Financial Peace University. Uh, that's why Luke and Jenny are going to be leading that. And that's why we wanted him to do the announcements this week. So you can kind of get an idea of who's going to be conducting that. They're not going to be teaching it. We're going to be using the video-based series. But they're going to just help guide the conversation. Because we don't want you to be stuck month to month, paycheck to paycheck, living in debt. Because if you're going to become like Christ, we want you to be a blessing to others. And that includes in your wallet. And so we want to help you open this up. It isn't just so Riverwood gets more of your money. No, it's so that you're contributing more into God's kingdom, that you're giving more to other people. And so if you need that help, I strongly encourage you, sign up for Financial Peace University. Sunday afternoons, three to five, it runs for nine weeks, and it's worth it. And if you're saying, Aaron, it's $100, all right? We have scholarships. We want to get this in your hands. Because I believe that if you do this and you really apply the principles that you're going to learn— that hundred dollars, you know, we're going to offer scholarships, but you'll recoup that hundred dollars really quickly. It's worth it. Sign up for it because God wants you to open up your hand in this area. He wants to help you be generous, even if you don't have necessarily a spiritual gift of financial giving. All right. So fist F the next one, I influence. I noticed it right there in verse 8 around uh, the financial aspect. It says there, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. Also, it says the one who leads to do it with zeal. Um, exhort just merely means to encourage, uh, you know, to strongly urge someone to do something. It's basically what I do every Sunday. All right, yes, I, I'm doing some teaching and preaching, but really, if you notice, my messages always come to a point where I'm urging you, strongly urging you, I'm encouraging you, Follow Jesus. Put Jesus first in your life. The world around you, they're going to say, that's crazy. Why would you make a decision like that? To them, this is throwing your life away. But that's where you're going to find true life. And so that's why I exhort you. Why do I feel like I have the freedom and, and, and the um, right to exhort you? Well, it's because I believe that God has put me in as the pastor for this church family for this time. 
There, there may come the day when I am no longer the pastor, whether it's because death takes me or, or God's saying, all right, it's time for someone else to lead Riverwood or Aaron, I've got something else for you. But for this time, God's put me in this responsibility. And so I feel this spiritual burden to love and to shepherd you. I want to see you connect to Christ. And that's why I feel this unction inside of me to exhort you. I want to use what little influence I have to help you become more like Christ. Some of you, you are in positions of influence. If you are a parent, you can exhort and lead your children. How are you leveraging that relationship to help your children find and follow Jesus? Some of you in your jobs, you have influence. Maybe some of you, you're a teacher, and so you have students that you can exhort and lead. Uh, Some of you, you have people who report to you. How are you using that position to exhort and to lead? Some of you, you're doctors. You, You work with patients. How are you using that relationship to exhort people, to lead them, to do not only what's good for their health, maybe, just maybe, God can use that relationship to take it even further. How can you take the influence that God has given you, even if it is just at the school lunch table, how can you influence others to find Jesus and follow him? So God wants us to use our F, fists, I mean our finances, and then I, influence. Next, skills. I notice this up in verse 7. Paul says that if service is your spiritual gift, then, you know, do it in your serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The, these are kind of skill-based type of things. It's, it's serving. I, I'm going to take a moment and brag on some people here at Riverwood. They're probably never going to talk to me after this uh, because they hate the spotlight on them, but I'm going to take the risk. Every Sunday morning at 7.30 a.m., Mike and Carrie Devine show up here. Mike has this incredible head, this engineering mindset. And so when we have a problem here, Mike's the one who can figure it out. He just makes it, get, gets it done. Just this morning, Kids Creek was having an issue. Go get Mike. You know, I think we got it solved with, without Mike, but that's okay. We, we, we uh, still called for Mike. Carrie has worked at, with the Waterloo Police Department for a number of years. She has a place of influence. And yet, when they come and serve, they are not trying to get the spotlight at all. They serve behind the scenes faithfully. They work hard, and they're fun to work around. They make it so much more fun. They tell stories. They laugh. They tease. It's great work with Mike and Carrie. They use these gifts that they have to make this a better place. We are a stronger family because of Mike and Carrie Divine. Also, every Sunday morning at 730 Randy and Lori Albright pull up. And it doesn't take long to see the gifts that they bring into this place. They, they not only help get the stuff all set up, but then they actually make it look good. Lori just has this spiritual gift of hospitality. And she just hits it out of the park. You have no idea the amount of joy I had last week walking in here for Easter Sunday and not just seeing our normal setup, but like the food table going along and just going out of the park And she didn't do it by herself. She recruited Janet. She recruited Carrie. I mean, others jumped in and did it with her. But still, they just took it up a level because they just knew this is the right thing to do to make people feel welcome to to come. And that way they can connect with God. And then to have the Tyrannosaurus Rex with the little peep in his mouth on April Fool's Day just was the, that was the top. That was the pinnacle of my morning, I think, other than celebrating Jesus' resurrection. 
It is so awesome to see people take the gifts that God has put in them and to use them for the benefit of others. I tell you, God is so glorified when the divines and the Albrights take this and they don't do it for attention. They do it for you because ultimately it's giving God glory. They're finding joy in it and we all benefit. They are a blessing to the Riverwood family. How can you serve others that gives glory to God and is a blessing to others? Because as you do it, you're going to find joy in that. You have an opportunity this Saturday. You know, I realized this morning as I was running through my message, it sounds like I've just set up my message to just re-point uh, out all of our announcements. That it was not the case. It just worked out this way. But I was originally going to say, so what could you do to serve? One way you could serve is to come and help us set up. And then I realized after next week on April 22nd, we won't be having set up anymore. So I needed something else. Oh, work day. Join us this Saturday. Like Luke said, we're probably going to begin around 8 a.m. We still have to kind of get some things in, in order. Um, but just mark down there on your work day, and we'll be in contact this, this week to let you know when we're going to start on Saturday. We may have to do some things in shifts. We, we've still got to get, get this all figured out. But our goal is to knock out as much as we can on Saturday. And then whatever we don't get done on Saturday, maybe we come in on Sunday afternoon, the 15th, or maybe we, you know, do some stuff over the week, but we got to get it ready for the 22nd because not only is FPU going to be hosted there, but we're having our fourth birthday party that morning. So we need to get it ready so we can kind of have a celebration. All right. So show up on the 14th if you are available, even if you're only available for a couple of hours, you, you might have just enough time to help us get a wall painted and then you have to skedat and go. Maybe for you, it's helping provide lunch. Maybe it's bringing in the food and the water bottles that everyone else is gonna need. But let's just jump in together and let's serve because I believe this is gonna give glory to God. We're gonna have fun in the process and then we got watch God use just this boring little building from the, the, on the 4-H, I mean, on the uh, uh, fairgrounds and he uses that for his glory. And it helps people connect with him. That's what we want to see happen. So God wants us to open up our fist, our finances, our influence, our skills, and lastly, our time. Now, if you're paying attention, you're reading through here, six through eight, and you're saying, uh, Aaron, <laughs> he doesn't mention time. And I'll, I'll say, you're right. He doesn't mention time. Unless you think about it this way. Because when he says there in verse 6, that having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If you're going to use these gifts that you have, it means you're going to have to give some time into it. If you're going to join us on Saturday, you're giving of your time. If you're going to use a, a teaching gift to teach in Kids Creek, you're going to use not only the time of teaching that morning, but going and getting yourself ready to, to you know, preparing to teach. If that's what you're going to do, it's going to cost you time. But if you're like me, time's probably the one that you hold on the most. Like, I, I tend to be a little sooner to open up my fist on finances. You know, I, I'm glad that if any little influence I have to use to, to help someone, if I have some skills that I think I can contribute, you know, like I like doing some graphic design, so I try and do a lot of the stuff for Riverwood because I, I find joy in that. But time, that, that one's harder. Like, just take away my Sunday night movie, and I'll start to get a little cranky. I want that time for me. But God wants us to open it up. Why? Because time is the one thing that you can give, but you'll never get back. Like, if you go to the food bank this Tuesday, and you serve from 4.30 to 6.30, 
No one's going to be able to walk up to you and go, thank you so much. Really appreciate you giving that. You know what? Here's your Tuesday from 4.30 to 6.30 back. No, once you spend it, it's gone. That's why we have to steward it so well. Are you using your time just for you? Are you using your time to be a blessing to others? Because I know this about myself, this is the area I hold on to. I have forced myself to open my hand up by getting involved with big brothers, big sisters. Every Tuesday for half an hour, I go and I hang out with my little. And right now he's really into Uno. I am sick of Uno. And yet for him, we play. And then every other Thursday for about an hour, we get together. Thankfully, there's no Uno on Thursday nights. Uh, right now it's Battleship. Uh, but we, we do this. I give him some time, hoping that giving that time, I might also exert some influence upon him. It's why a couple nights a week, I try not to let anything else get in the schedule so that I'm just home to be with my family, to play particularly with my, my boys, to hang out and talk with my daughter. It's why on Wednesday nights when our kids are at overflow at the middle school group, Leanne and I sometimes we go out and do dinner. Sometimes it's just grab an ice cream or, or we do and get some errands done, but we do it together. We're trying to find some time together. Because if I had my own way, sometimes I just work. I just, I've always got more I could always do. And I just take that and use it for myself. Because, oh, you know, I'm, I'm using it for Riverwood. Sometimes you got to say no to these things to give the time and to these others. And when you do, it gives glory to God. You get joy in it. I find joy in these things. And it ends up being a blessing to others. So let's just recap all of this. God wants you to give your life. He wants you to be a living sacrifice, to give all of you to him. And so that means first, if you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus, the first thing you need to do is not worry about, okay, so should I give some money to the church? Should I give some time? No, the first thing you need to figure out is, is the story true? Is this Jesus character really the son of God who lived a sinless life and yet went and died on a cross in your place to pay for your sins? If that story is true, then you need to give your life into it. Most people, when their eyes are open to the truth of this gospel, they, they express it in prayer. They basically start saying, God, thank you. I realize that I am a sinner. My sin has separated me from you. And yet you love me so much that you came and died my penalty, paid my penalty for me. You died my death. And, and so because Jesus, you gave your life for me, I'm going to give my life to follow you. And, and as we say that prayer, it's basically us acknowledging, God, I'm climbing onto the altar and I'm giving you all of me. But the problem with a living sacrifice is that it can sometimes crawl off that altar. I know many of you here today have put Jesus in your life. He, he's, he's first, but there are moments where you realize, no, I'm, I'm hanging on to some things. Maybe for you, it's, it's right now, you don't have a healthy view of self. You're, you're beating yourself up. I need you to let the gospel speak in and tell you you're loved. Maybe some of you, you're on top of the world right now. And God is saying, no, let me humble you because I want to do something even better through you. For some of you, it's connection. As you've heard me talk today, you've realized, man, I have not gotten into relationship with others where they're encouraging me to follow Jesus and I'm encouraging them. And so sign up for a growth group. We've got Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights. Help us start one if those evenings don't work. Let's get into relationship with others. And then, how can you open up your fist? Is God saying, all right, you're being too tight with your money. I want you to open it up. And maybe so that you don't think I'm just trying to get more from you for Riverwood, how about you just give straight to like Compassion International 
Or how about you find an organization that is trying to make a Jesus-centered difference and, and give something into that? Because what you're saying is, God, I believe you can do more with that than I can. And so I'm going to give it, even though I know I could use it. I, I'm going to trust you with it, and I'm going to trust that you'll provide for me what I need. Maybe it's influence. Maybe you've just turned your job into a job. God is saying, no, I, I want to reorient that. I want you to have your mind renewed. I want you to think through the gospel. How can you use your job for the kingdom of God? What skills do you have that the kingdom needs? This church family will benefit when you serve. And then, do you need to give your time? Who is it that needs your time? Is it a neighbor? Is, is it a, a, a family member? Is it that person that just really drains you and you're trying to avoid them? And God's saying, no, I want you to give some time. Is, is it right here to your church family? You see, God wants us to live, lay on that altar and give him all of ourselves. Because when we do that, he gets the glory, we find the joy, and we end up being a blessing to those around us. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to be part of a church where we didn't just do this by ourselves, but because we were members with one another, that we all were doing this. We all were helping each other to get on the altar and stay on the altar. That we were encouraging each other to think through the filter of the gospel, letting our minds be renewed through God's truth. And then we go and we live this out. And then we'd hear story after story after story of the lives being changed. We would become the healthiest church any of us had ever been a part of. And we would watch God bring people to us. And we would watch their lives be transformed by this gospel. So this isn't just for you. This isn't just to kind of give you your best life now. This is to help make this the church that God wants it to be. So that's why I encourage you. Would you open up your fist? Will you crawl onto that altar? Will you give God all of yourself and watch him do what only he can do? And so, Father, I just pray right now that you would help us to do this, that we wouldn't just hear a nice little talk on this topic and, and we call it good, and, and then when we leave here and, and it's completely different after Sunday's dinner, that instead we would leave here and this become a part of how we live, that we would walk and impact those around us. And so, Father, I pray right now you would give us the courage to lay our lives fully down in front of you, to allow you to take every single part of us, our time, our talents, our treasures, and that you would use these things for your glory. God, would you help us to even help each other? Would you help us to encourage one another to stay on that altar, that we would help each other to have our minds renewed, that we would bear one another's burdens, we would love one another, we would forgive one another? God, we want to be a Jesus-centered church. And for that to happen, we need to be Jesus-centered people. So, Jesus, just crash in, open up our hearts and minds, help us to open up these fists, and let you take everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.